Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics. And Trog from Trogonomics. Welcome to Porch Beers. Trog, we got a special episode here today and uh, I feel like uh, you're, you're an absolute expert in this field, so perfect time to have this conversation. But we're in the midst of a global pandemic. We're in the midst of a global economic downturn and crisis. And there's a lot of information going around out there. There's a lot of uh, fear. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of what does this mean? So I thought this would be a perfect Porch Beers episode to just dive deep into the COVID economy going into 2021, what's happened in 2020, and uh, break it down a little bit. So welcome. I'm super stoked that you're here on the uh, intro for us today. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you're feeling so far. Well, you know, this was a good Porch Beers episode, but what I realized is that we, we focused a lot on the, the economy and the economics impact of the pandemic which is fine. I am a, a health economist, but I'm also a professor in a school of public health. And I wanted to make sure that we also hit some of the public health messages that I wanted to get across. So that's why I'm here in the intro. And I just want to remind everybody that although we do have vaccines coming, this we are still kind of in the worst part of the pandemic that's been to date. Keep doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing. Wash your hands, wear a mask, limit your contact with other people, and make sure with the first chance you get the vaccine to take it. Awesome. Awesome. Let's stay safe. Let's ride this out. It's been an uncomfortable nine months and perhaps another three to six to 12 months in front of us. But uh, I want to I want to see it through. And I, and I know that a lot of us, uh, myself and yourself included, have had uh, close loved ones impacted by the virus. And it's not fun. It's not cool. It's not a joke. So absolutely it's, it's definitely not a joke and you know with, with the vaccine so close for many of us the incentives to make it just a few more months are even higher so keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and we'll get through this awesome i'm looking forward to a great conversation here we go all right Trog, welcome to porch beers it's great to see you Good to see you. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I've got a, an interesting topic that I think is, is a little less evergreen, uh, hopefully, than what we've talked about in the past. <laughs> All right. um, you know, obviously, we're going through in, in 2020 and, and into 2021, we're going through a, a significant health pandemic. We're going through an economy disruption, a hard reset on a lot of industries. Um, a lot of humans in the world have either lost their job or pivoting within work because their work isn't as relevant in the new economy. So I wanted to walk down the path of the COVID and potentially post-COVID economy and just kind of get a little bit of an understanding uh, from your point of view, you know, somebody that understands the economy better than anyone. Speak to, speak to us a little bit. So I'm going to walk you through a few bullet points and, and maybe unpack a little bit of the damage that has been done to our economy and, and uh, how it will be navigated out of, hopefully, um, and, and what the next couple of years might look like as a result. Um, but hey, it's porch beers. So before we get too in the weeds on recession or the D word, if that might be what's coming as in depression, um, let's talk about some beers. What are you drinking today? I have a uh, Big Boss uh, brewery out of Raleigh, so local. Um, yep. They have a Hell's Style Lager. So it's, you know, okay. same same thing that the, the big guys are trying to do, but this is the micro version of it. But it's pretty good. Okay. Nice. Nice. Big Boss is the name of the brewery? Yeah. Yeah. My first thought was a Big Boss Man themed beer 
the uh, uh, somewhat notorious WWF character from the uh, <laughs> late 80s. Of, that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was either a security guard or police officer. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember Big Boss Man had his... Uh, Did had he a carry a nightstick? That was his, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was his corner, uh, you know, the, not instead of a python or a... Uh, maybe a, a manager ringside. He had the nightstick. Right. So when <laughs> so when the umpire looked the other way, we got the nightstick. I think out of the yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. That was the you know you distract the referee and then uh, you know you grab the billy club and just do work. <laughs> I actually don't know the answer to this. Are with professional wrestling, is it a referee or an umpire? I guess referees more. I believe common, it's a referee. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I believe that uh, we can uh, we can uh, fact check that. After All right. So we'll, we'll put the intern on that to fact check mm. us at the end. Of the That's, right. That's right. <laughs> what do you nice. got today? So I'm going with, uh, you know, we're in the, we're in the dead of winter as we record this in um, the great uh, Pacific Northwest. So it is cold and wet and uh, uh, ripe for good beer drinking. So my wife hit up the local Trader Joe's and she, she did a very porch beer trogonomics, uh, uh, shopping experience. So she hit the store brand beers, uh, which I like in the, the one she picked out, she picked out a few stouts, you know, it's like I said, it's the middle of winter. So like a nice, heavy chocolatey coffee flavored beer, ginger beard spiced stout, uh, wow. from Trader Joe's. So, uh, I don't know if you're a, you know, a ginger, there's the, uh, I lo- yeah, I love ginger. Actually, when, the, I, when I, when I mix my bourbon with anything, I actually like either a ginger liqueur or a ginger beer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, the ginger is very strong in this one. Um, it's a nice beer. It almost has a little bit of like the, uh, the mulled wine kind of, you know, kind of spike to it, but. So I'm, uh, I'm guessing it's not a session beer. This is like, you have one and, and you're probably good, right? You know, alcohol wise, it's not too bad. It's four, eight. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's not, uh, the type of beer that you can put two or three down. It's, uh, for me and the wife, we split it, I think at dinner time, (laughs) you know, and then we probably back it up with something a little bit smoother, but it's got a lot of flavor. So props to our friends at uh, Trader Joe's for always putting together a nice uh, house beer or two (laughs) and keeping it seasonally relevant. There you go. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about the economy now that we're in the midst of, you know, if you if you look at March, February, March of 2020 is kind of when uh, things started to slow down and come to a stop. Right. The NBA was one of the first uh, to stop. Um, You know, we saw a lot of the big retailers close their doors um, around the 15th of March uh, just to be like, you know what, we're just going to have a hard stop. We're going to move all to digital. We saw shelter in place in San Francisco for several weeks where you, it was, you can't leave the house, uh, curfews, things like that. So now we're, we're in winter. We're going into 2021. It doesn't look like we're days away from walking out of this, right? We've got a few months ahead of us, if not longer. The vaccines uh, are just now, as we're recording, getting distributed to kind of that top tier first responders and the elderly. We've had a devastating impact on the economy. So just at a kind of a high level, explain a little bit what's happened um, to the economy in the last nine months and, and maybe what's going to go into the next three, six months. And then we'll kind of walk it down and, and maybe uh, break down a few things, but just kind of at a high level, what, what's happening? 
I mean, we we saw some of the biggest whipsaws we've ever seen. So in that kind of March April frame, we we were getting record unemployment claims every week, um, right. to the point that if you you know if you saw the chart, if you're a graph guy like me and my wife hates it when I'm like, oh, I saw the coolest chart today, you know, <laughs> but this one was amazing because it, you know, it was one of those where that you had to change the scale to actually see wow. where the numbers okay. were relative to history. So even if you had the great recession from, you know, 10, 12 years ago, we had weeks in, in the spring that were dwarfing like orders of magnitude higher than we'd ever seen. So a lot of people losing their jobs, the the economy contracted, as you said, like it's, it's really hard to do any business when you can't, you know, you can't be in person. And at, at that yeah. point, we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with. So, you know, we saw this huge reduction and then into the summer, you know, we actually saw some of the fastest growth that we've seen in a long time. So there was some recovery back from that. Um, so we saw job numbers that were increasing faster than we'd ever seen. We had a, a quarter of GDP growth that when you annualize it out would have been, you know, kind of record breaking. But it's important to note that even with that rebound, we, we still, we're still not back to where we were pre-pandemic. So before the pandemic, the economy was as strong as it's been in a generation or two. And even with the recovery we saw in the summer, we're not there yet. And then sadly, as we keep getting kind of new waves of the virus, the, the economy has, that, that recovery has faltered a bit. And we're, we're starting to see decreases in employment again, decreases in spending. Um, so I think, you know, 2020 has been, it's been really unique for just how fast things have moved in both directions. Where have you seen some of the um, positives, um, whether it's employment or economic growth? Where, where are you seeing that, it, whether it's industry or geography or another categorization? Where are you seeing that? I mean, anything, you know, the digital stuff has been going gangbusters. So um, things that people uh, either to fix, you know, things that they can do at home, things that around their home that they're spending time with. So, you know, construction and rehab has been good. Um, we had, you know, interest rates lowered yet again. So people have been refinancing houses, putting, putting money into that. The, one of the reasons I think the stock market, although it also took a big dip, like a 30% dive in March, one of the reasons it's ended so strong is that the big companies right now are the digital giants. It's Google, it's Facebook, yeah. and they're doing fine, right? They've, they've been able to, to manage this. So there definitely are sectors that are positive. I think, you know, we, we've just seen recently as when we're recording this, we've seen a couple of vaccines been approved for emergency use. I do think Operation Warp Speed to get to, to help fund the research and, and not just the research, but also the production and sale of the vaccine yeah. has been a real positive. It's it's amazing to think that in under a year, we, we will have at least two, if not maybe a couple more vaccines against this. So that that's also a big positive. My, you know, my wife's in healthcare. That's been, that's been kind of hit or miss. I mean, I think a lot, of, I think the general public thinks that healthcare must be making a ton of money with, with people being sick and needing to be hospitalized, but they were also hurting early on. So a lot of the elective stuff that they do, things like, yeah. you know, hip surgeries and things like right. that, a lot of that care was put off. And so they were, 
they were actually laying, you know, hospitals were laying people off early on in the pandemic. So there have been industries that have obviously been hurt, retail being one, restaurants, any kind of live entertainment, you know, comedy, music, those have just been decimated. You've got industries like healthcare where it kind of, it just depends on when in the year you're looking. And then you've got, you know, your kind of remote digital, digital spaces that seem to be doing pretty well. On the flip side, as you're kind of talking about some of the areas that have struggled, the retail, the restaurants, um, some areas of healthcare, you know, I'm in the retail world and I, I see such a dramatic change in consumer behavior that was already on the path. It's just sped up the, you know, sped up the velocity. Um, do you see some of these jobs coming back once doors reopen? Or is the restaurant industry going to be 98% delivery down the road? Is retail going to be, um, you know, drones dropping off uh, packages at your house uh, and the the retail employee and the restaurant employee and maybe some of those elective style healthcare options or second, you know, non-emergency style healthcare? Are those going to recover and come back at full strength? Do they come back at half strength? Do they never come back again? Is there something there that that... Um, you know, maybe those employees, those workers have to find new ways to make livings that they hadn't planned on. Right, right. Uh, You know, let's see, my crystal ball is always a little fuzzy. Um, (laughs) I I mean, I'll confess that early on, you know, I I thought the I thought we'd be dealing with this for a much shorter amount of time. I thought the response would be the economic response would be quicker. And I was skeptical that long run, you know, three to five years from now that things would be that different. I think that there are a few things that have probably changed. I, I personally think that experience-based things like restaurants, um, live music, you know, comedy, those kind of theater, I can see those coming back. I mean, there's clearly going to be disruption. They're not going to be maybe the same, the same restaurants and the same venues that we had before, but I could see there being some pent up demand for those kinds of things. And, and I think they have a, you know, there's something unique about, I mean, I'm a music guy. So like, there's just, it's hard to replicate a con- a live concert where you're, you're with people and yeah. you know, it's, it's loud and you're there and there's just a certain energy there. I mean, you know, I think yeah. you and I both kind of dabbled in some of the live stream concerts early on and it yeah. was fun that people were trying to innovate, but it wasn't quite the same as a concert. Yeah. Um, now retail is, and, and I'll actually throw another one in into this bucket, which is work from home, um, right? Just how we do our work. Yeah. I'm beginning to think that we may see some permanent changes there. I think people have gotten a taste of both, you know, working remotely, working from home. I think in a lot of cases showing that productivity can stay relatively high in that venue. And then on the retail side, I think you know, you've, you've got consumers that hadn't switched over to digital to, you know, to having stuff delivered to the house. And now they've seen how convenient that is. And, um, you know, I think in those two spaces, we may see not that they're gone. I mean, we you know, there will be people going into offices. There will be people that want to go shop, you know, for physical goods, but I do think that they've probably, that pace of change has been accelerated and we probably won't go back to the way it was would be my. Yeah. Not so risky. Problem. I had, I just had a lot, like, as you were kind of walking through those bullet points, I had so many little reactions to each one. And, you know, two that just stand out to me. One is, uh, early, you know, your point about dabbling in the online music uh, experience, watching Ghostface Killer on 
my phone perform in my living room with my wife not that interested was not quite the same as seeing you know him perform at at a you know classic venue in the bay area a few years ago and so i completely agree with that you know the energy of the people around you and the the moment the the ceremony of um seeing in person what you're you know whether it's music or sports or you know comedy to your point things like that um but i'm curious if it's you know it's exactly the same or is it modified or is it uh what is it and and the other thing that came to mind was your point about retail that is experiences like a restaurant and i had a conversation with a colleague several weeks ago about this exact thing and it was you know specialty retail is where i came out of and there was a lot of conversation of like the last couple of years as customers are moving to digital and as your, you know, what, what we were good at was the recommendation. We were good at the analysis. We were good at understanding what the customer would want and being able to show them the products that would make sense for them and taking all the clutter and all the noise away. Right. But the experience uh, that is now irrelevant to, to a large degree, right. You've got online reviews, you've got product reviews, you've got uh, ability to size your foot, um, with your phone and things like that. But I was talking to to a colleague and he said, there's this sneaker store that has a sushi restaurant in it. And I mean, my first thought was like, oh boy, that's weird. And then I thought to myself, like, you know, when you talk about specialty retail and you talk about experiences, I was always thinking too small. I was thinking, you know, activations and exercise, and we should have a yoga thing and a fun run, and we should have a boot camp, and we should have a guest speaker, and we should have a movie night, and those types of experiences. I wasn't thinking, let's put a dope sushi restaurant in the building. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you got to think real big. Um, and, the, and you were saying the ones that come back aren't going to be the ones that left. And I think, you know, that just in my mind, like the idea of like a sneaker store and a sushi restaurant. I bet if curated just right, that's an amazing uh, experiential retail that isn't like, okay, it's Thursday night. Let's go for a yoga session at the, um, at the specialty athletic store. Right. Right. Kind of bundling it with the things that may be there. Yeah. I'm actually sitting here wondering, I've only been to a couple NBA games, but, and maybe it existed and I just walked right by it, but it feels like there's where your shoe store should be. Right. Like I just saw, like I just saw the guy play and dunk on three other people. Like, can you buy the shoe at the venue? The experience is the basketball game and the retail is in the stadium. Right. And it's, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's actually a really interesting idea because one thing that I've, I've noticed is a lot of retailers are changing their hours. You know, five years ago, the idea was be as open as long as you can cast that big wide net. You got people walking, you know, on their way to work you know, maybe open up at eight, nine o'clock in the morning. You got people walking home from work or you've got, you know, whatever, let's stay open until eight at night. So you get these long days and multiple shifts of retail employees. But now we're seeing, you know, maybe closed at five o'clock because the after five crowd isn't relevant anymore with work from home, with sheltering in place or, you know, curfews. The um, opening up at eight, nine in the morning isn't relevant either. So you're seeing these kind of shortened hours. You're even seeing days off, you know, Sundays closed in some mm-hmm. cases. So having, you know, what, what is it? 82 NBA games a year, 41 of them are going to be at the home. 
41 days of being open in a sneaker store in a basketball arena. And, you know, I would imagine, you know, the N- NBA is certainly a, an industry leader in the product that they're selling. Like they are absolutely clicking on all cylinders. When when the NBA comes back to in-person, is the, uh, do you go uh, 10 minutes before tip-off? Is that when you get there? Or do you get there maybe an hour before tip-off and there's things to do and, you know, fan experiences and athlete meet and greets or something like uh, at a show, you know, and then the retail day becomes part of that. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't disagree with you. I think there's, there's a lot of, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be real different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, more, more so than I thought at the beginning when I thought it was going to be relatively short lived, but yeah. Yeah, just kind of a speed bump along the way. Um, let me ask you about the, uh, particularly at the beginning of the crisis, the beginning of, you know, mid-spring and early summer when we started to see some economic relief from the government. We were seeing grants and, you know, low to zero interest loans to some of these companies to cover payroll costs. Um, now, I get that as as an outsider, I get the idea of like, hey, look, I'm not going to be able to pay these employees because I'm not having people come in the door. Government gives me money to pay them. They don't go on unemployment. They don't hit the, that cycle. They, we get to keep them on board and things like that. That was a one and done, right? That was a one stop. And then there was the the stimulus check around that, uh, that same time as well. I saw some businesses take those checks, those, those, uh, uh, those relief checks, and some of them gave it back. Los Angeles Lakers is a good example. Now, when I think about the Lakers, I think, you know, where do they make their money from? They're making it from ticket sales and then merchandise and concessions in the arena. So in-person stuff, I see the TV deals, which the games are paused. So we're not getting ad revenue. It seems like they might need that check, right? Because their revenue stream, now granted, they're a very big, they're a massive brand, they're I don't want to be an apo- a billionaire apologist, but I understand that like their revenue stopped. Explain a little bit of that, if you will. Like, how did they get it? Why did they give it back? Or, right. or you know, what, what's that world? So I think one of the things that we learned from the Great Recession in 08, 09 was that uh, moving quickly can help. And so I think that first stimulus we got, there weren't a lot of qualifications on it, um, right? Like a lot of people got checks. We know not all of them needed it, but the speed and the reassurance that something was there was more important to keep people engaged yeah. in the economy. So I think in some ways, I think, you know, there have been stories that there were big companies that got the money and they didn't do with it what, you know, they were supposed to do with it. And, right. and I think, honestly, I think we knew that was probably going to happen. I think, yeah. I think it was it was more, it was better that it was just widespread and let's just get the money into the economy more than it was to be targeted, at least initially when everyone was truly in kind of a panic mode. Um, And I think, you know, your, your Lakers example is, you know, is a good one. I mean, some companies are just going to have either more cash on hand, right. They've been able to kind of self-insure a few months worth of expenses or that they have, uh, they've got a brand that would still be worth something post pandemic that they could borrow against, right. That they had some sort of equity that they could use to, to get some liquidity out of. Um, but a lot of the small businesses don't, you know, the, the local restaurant, the sure. local venue, like they're just not going to have that. So yeah, that was, I think an important thing that we, 
I think was mostly accomplished in the, in the first round. And then that learning process of, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, you know, making it widespread, making it quick. Gotcha. Um, so the, the value of, of speed was so significant that it, it could be just opening up the fire hydrant and just like, let's just get some money out there. Let's start, you know, we're going to make some mistakes, but it doesn't matter. Let's just keep right. the e- oxygen. Even the, in the mistakes air. eventually are probably going to circle back through and be fed into the, into the economy. It may not be in the short run and maybe in the long run, but you know, it's not a total loss. Let's just get the money out there. Yeah. So, um, um, as an economist, did you see this one time experience as like, Oh, that'll be enough. Or when you think about the concept of time relative that, that it needs to be multiple instances, or is it at some point we need to start restructuring our economy or rethinking about, you know, who gets to stay in business and who doesn't. Yeah. Let, let's not forget it. The scale was again, record-breaking that yep. the, the amount of money, especially if you include the money that the fed was pumping in through other means. So there was, there was money literally being handed out to businesses, you know, checks written to homes, but there were also loans and, and sort of guarantees of credit that the fed was doing. And the, the when you put those together, like, the trillions of dollars that came out that fast again it was the scale was amazing so i think in some ways were it was unprecedented right we didn't we didn't know exactly how long it would last yeah. it has been disappointing that in the next 7 months that there hasn't been any follow along especially as we as we've seen these second and third kind of increases in cases so i you know we just got another deal that's that that got signed so um there's another kind of relief package coming yeah. um and I think that's probably been kind of long overdue. And, and I think one of the arguments, again, is that it's there's the help itself. And then there's just the confidence and the assurance that people have that there is someone at their back when things go bad. And so when you see Congress kind of twiddling their thumbs and debating back and forth and not getting anything done and deadlines coming and going, right, either for for the federal budget or for moratoriums on you know, evictions, you want, what one of the things the government hopefully is doing is, is there as kind of not only the, the, the insurance and the reassurance that right. we've got you. So it's nice to see a second round happen. Um, and I think we'll hopefully get a little bit better about kind of paying attention to the data and knowing when and, and potentially getting more targeted with some of this stuff as well. Um, now that we've seen a little bit more about which industries are hurting and yeah. And which people are hurting the current you, you mentioned that it's a little disappointing that it took a while to get the second wave. I think that's a fair analysis, both in an unemotional, you know, mathematical state that you're thinking in. And also, you know, folks that are a part of that population that are either unemployed or making some rapid pivots, maybe underemployed. That's that's a uh, percentage of the working workforce that I think is often either misrepresented or misunderstood, uh, you know, to the big picture is, you know, not making, not maximizing your, your ability or your wealth or your opportunities. Why was there so much debate politically amongst the lawmakers and the Congress and the Senate and the house and everything about how much this current stimulus package is and uh, wh- why was there so many difference of opinion? Why was there so much difference of opinion? 
I think for this particular case, especially for the pandemic, um, we've, it, there's always been a certain level of uncertainty about how bad is the pandemic going to be, how long it's going to last, when will the vaccines come. I think in general, one of the things that's helped us, especially the stock market, but I think in some ways even even the general economy, is that we were in such a good place before the pandemic that the that the fundamentals were there that people hoped that once we had the pandemic under control we'd be able to ramp back up quickly. Gotcha. The, um, the, the, the buoy effect of like, okay, we're right back where we were. So not, not too much to worry about. Okay. Right. So that's the positive side now. So mm-hmm. those, you know, so people with, with the positive outlook like that can say, well, maybe if we just wait and see a little bit longer, it may recover on its own. The other side of that though, is that, and I think what people worried about who wanted to move quicker is that once you start severing those ties, so once the employee is no longer with the employer, right, once the employer shutters its doors, it's it's a lot harder to ramp back up. It's costly to hire someone. It's costly to find them. It's costly to get new business licenses, to find, you know, to negotiate new right. new leases. So the, you know, like one of the things that we've heard a lot about in Europe, I think Germany was a good example of this, is that their aid was such that you could keep your current job, right? So that when the pandemic came back, that you didn't have to go through that process again of matching and finding a, you know, the, a job for an employer or employee and vice versa. So we're in a place now where we've lost so many jobs and business, so many small businesses have closed that it becomes a question about how fast we're going to be able to ramp back up, you know, even when... Right the vaccine's been widely distributed and, and the vac- and the pandemic's mostly under control from a epidemiologic standpoint, the, you know, the more we have to reshuffle the deck, the longer it's going to take to get ramped back up. So that's the case I think for moving more quickly is can we, can we prevent some of these businesses from closing from, from right. furloughing and, and laying off? What does the next three to six months look like if you were to, you know, in, in this, in this respect, if things don't get better, then, I mean, I feel like at this point, a lot of small businesses have burned their working capital or they've seen the writing on the wall that, you know, this business model isn't going to work in the future. Yeah, Um, I I think it's going to be painful. Um, I mean, I'm still optimistic for the kind of medium to long run. If I'm looking out over the next, you know, maybe two to five years, um, I think we've I think we've, we will hopefully be on a nice upward trajectory, but I think the next six to nine months is going to be real difficult. Um, the growth that I'm hoping is going to happen in, you know, 2022, 2023, 24 is likely going to be a different group. You know, it's going to be different businesses, different owners, <laughs> employees, when they get a job again, are probably going to be at a different employer. Um, and that that transition is really painful. It, you know, as a, as an economist that is looking at kind of big picture trends, it's, it's easy to gloss over who's being, you know, who's being fired and not out, you know, and out of work for three months and which businesses are being bought up and which leases are being foreclosed on and then taken over later. We just kind of like, is there someone in that building? Have they hired someone? Yes or no. But the transition from one equilibrium to another is not is not something that economists spend a ton of time thinking about. But that's where the personal side is. Fair. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, when we've talked about currency valuation, we've talked a little bit about the amount of money that's circulating in an economy. And, you know, as that goes up or down, the value of the money is impacted. Uh, When the damage to the economy has been happening over the last nine months, 
has the amount of money and currency in the economy dropped? And if so, is pumping stimulus cash into the economy a simple fix? And the arguments for and against it are maybe irrelevant to the the economics of the situation? Or is it, am, am I missing a variable in that? Uh, is the is the amount of money in the economy the same and and it's it doesn't matter or you know walk me through that a little bit as to maybe why it's not as easy to see these uh, inputs more often than than once and now twice this this period traditionally we you know we have worried about the amount if we if we inject a lot more money into the economy that that can lead to inflation the the value of the dollar goes down and you know, inflation when it's too high can be a very detrimental thing to an economy. Now, the other variable though is what's called the velocity of money. So it's how often that money is changing hands. And so when you go through something like we've been through in 2020, the amount of money is still there. In fact, again, after the stimulus, it was even more, but the velocity of the money, the amount of times it's being traded between people and between businesses had gone way down. And so, um, I think the the general consensus now is that the economy from an inflation standpoint can handle the stimulus, that there's, that there's plenty of room for that money to be traded, you know, back and forth and that that's what we actually need more of. And so there, you know, inflation is something we need to keep track of when we're putting trillions of dollars at a time into the economy. But I think the, right now, the, the bigger concern is, is the contraction that we've had um, and that the money's not actually being circulated. It's not circulating fast enough um, to generate the economic growth. So is there a way to stimulate the velocity? Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about how much is in the economy, right? But how, how do you calculate that velocity and how do you, how can you impact that? I think the, the low interest rate lending is probably the first thing that comes to mind. Um, so you can think about even for, and both things are happening at once, but even if for a fixed quantity of money, when you're when the Fed and other large banks are saying, look, I'm willing to let you loan borrow this money for very cheap, you know, even if the volume of money is not changing, that alone should increase the amount of the people that are willing to take on the risk of of those loans. And again, the loans that came out of the stimulus packages were potentially forgivable, meaning they wouldn't even have to be paid. They turn into a grant. They wouldn't even have to be paid back if you meet certain criteria around employing some, you know, keeping your employees on. Um, so that's, I mean, a grant's like literally free money, you know, if it works right. Um, right. So, you know, that should also, the fact that they keep their people hired, gotcha. like that's the velocity we're talking that's about. That's the velocity. It moves from the company to their, the household paycheck, to the grocery store, you know, back to the truck drivers and so on. Gotcha. Okay. So we've, we've, we've dived, to, we've dived nice and deep. What does 2021 and perhaps into 2025, what do these... Maybe looking back at the Great Recession or something like that as as an indicator. What are the kind of the building blocks to get back to a nice low unemployment rate, a nice um, valuation of our currency, a nice healthy economy where um, we're you know there's a there's a robust middle class, there's a contributing big contributing group to the economy. The the juggling act is going to be you know how long to keep the foot on the gas when it comes to the stimulus. Um, when we when we look back to the Great Recession, we actually had a really nice ten year period of pretty sustained growth. It took a long time, but unemployment eventually came back down. So I don't think it's going to be. I don't think by the end of you know twenty twenty one or even twenty twenty two, we're going to be necessarily back to where we were. So you know, I, my sense is that 
it'll be kind of a long, slow upward trajectory. And we've talked about all the, the disruption, you know, industries are going to have to figure out what the new, what this looks like to operate in this new economy. But um, we, we were at such a low point that it's, you know, it's hard to think that we won't, there won't be growth. And then the question will be, you know, two or three years from now, what, what is the pace of that been? At what point do we get to, you know, pull back some of the stimulus and see if it can handle it on its own? So I, I, you know, I'm positive, but I'm not expecting a year from now that we're, you know, back to where we were in the end of 2019. Yeah. It's fair to say that the economy has inertia. Yes. And it's, it's slow to move with the exception of a global pandemic. A global pandemic uh, will do it, but yeah, but um, out, you know, outside of that, it, it's or a big the, war. It's, it's tough to get it right. that world, world war two or, a global pandemic come to mind, but otherwise it's, it's going to be one step at a time, one job at a time. Um, this is wonderful. This is a lot of, this is a deep dive. This is a lot of, of good, clear headed thinking um, that, that I think uh, myself, perhaps our listeners don't always get. I'm going to, we'll leave it with, I'm going to give you two questions. And I just, uh, in the spirit of porch beers, um, we won't do micro and macro, but I want to do what scares you and what excites you about the situation we're going through right now. Um, I, I imagine there's a bullet point or two that you're just like, this is unprecedented, or this is that domino that pushes over 15 other dominoes. And there's probably something on the other side that's just like, this might actually be really a nice X, Y, or Z. Yep. I am most excited. I, I think about innovation, especially in the medical field. Um, the particular technology that led to this vaccine, from what I'm reading, now I'm a lay person like the rest of us when it comes to you know microbiology and things, but it sounds like it may translate to other vaccines, even things like malaria. Um, so I'm, I think there's awesome. been some amazing innovation. And, and again, even on the, the sort of tech digital world that we've talked about, um, you know, even our video conferencing, I feel like is way better than it was even, you know, 18 months ago. So that's exciting. I think the, the thing that scares me is, um, is the, the wealth gap um, and what, what the economy, what this pandemic and recession has done to exacerbate um, the gap between those that are doing okay and those that aren't. And so that's, that's been a trend that's been going for at least 25 years um, but the pandemic accelerates that, um, the, the first people that are hurt are the people that are, can least afford it. Um, and the people that can absorb it and be successful and work from home and, you know, engage in the digital economy tend to be people that were kind of already doing well to begin with. And so the other policy thing that we need to think about is like, what, you know, how do we handle the gap and the, the growth in the gap, um, as we try to grow the whole economy back out? I don't disagree with you there, you know, living in San Francisco for a long time, there was a big wealth gap that lived in that microcosm of, of San Francisco. There was a lot of folks making a lot of money um, and a lot of really healthy, innovative, cash heavy companies in the tech world. And there was a lot of uh, folks that were not a part of that world and there wasn't a ton in between. And I don't disagree with you. I'm seeing that, you know, now that we're in Portland, I'm seeing that uh, in, in a bigger state and some of the things that are coming out with this, um, that that gap is, as the lay person and to this point is scary to me um, because there's things that happen in those worlds. There's tipping points. There's, um, 
in, in a population of 330 million, you know, that's a big middle to be somewhat barren. So um, it actually scares me to hear you say that it scares you. Because <laughs> in the back of my mind, I was like, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. And you're like, yeah, this is really not good. <laughs> that is not good. <laughs> well, um, like I said, we're, we're maybe that's another topic for another time. I think, you know, I think there potentially are some things that we could do better when it comes to policy and economic policy around this. And my hope is that we'll get there. But I think for now, it is something we don't want to lose track of. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's a, a healthy porch beer. I'm glad I had the the spiced uh, ginger beer to uh, to keep it slow. Yeah, yours was <laughs> robust enough to hold up to that conversation. I think mine got kind of overpowered, but you know, pairing the the beer with the conversation is uh, something we haven't put a lot of uh, energy behind. But maybe that's the next. Uh, You're the only one that can do it. I'm I'm just guessing. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Maybe going forward, I'll I'll lead with like it's going to be a stout question. <laughs> it's going to be a it's going to be a real low alcohol content question. I need you real sharp for this one. <laughs> We're going to be on Coors Light when we get to the uh, the wealth gap. Just uh, just session beers. So. Cool, man. Well, that was great. I, you know, I really appreciate uh, the openness. Um, you know, we come at these conversations cold and uh, I know this is your, your wheelhouse, your expertise. So um, I was expecting a, a lot of really thoughtful, sharp answers and, uh, and taking some of the legal ease and the, the policy ease out of it and uh, speaking to us uh, in a way that we can really digest. So that was fantastic. Uh, greatly appreciate the intel on, on these topics. So, sure, enjoyed it. Cool, man. We will circle back. We'll porch beer again soon. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next time. All right. See you. Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We had a great time recording it. I hope you enjoyed it and found it resourceful and useful. After listening, please head to the website for all the details and the resources and the information that you just heard in the episode, as well as past episodes and a bit more background on Trog and myself. The website is trogonomics.com, T-R-O-G. O-N as in Nancy, O-M as in Michael, I-C-S dot com, T-R-O-G-O-N-O-M-I-C-S dot com. You can also find us on social media at Trogonomics. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time.